This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 10. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is plain of the mystery hidden of all ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I hope as you're reading God's word, you would see that what we really need is this spirit of revelation. This desire in Paul to make known, to bring to light to everyone, to make plain, as verse 9 says, the mysteries hidden for ages in God who created all things. His deep passion for people to see the gospel, to know the gospel, that the light of God would shine. That's what I'm praying for for us today. That we would see In Christ, we would see in the gospel the vastness, the beauty, the wonder of what is in Christ. That you would know the unsearchable riches of Christ. That you would be blown away by his grace. He starts by saying, of this Gospel. Now, you got to remember what has all been said before this because he has spent much time speaking of the gospel. In chapter one, he sings a song of praise and, and, and some of the most rich Christology in all of scripture, in my opinion. As you read through all of what is in Christ and what Christ has done, as you read this beautiful gospel, then he breaks forth in prayer, praying that they would see. That, 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 they would, that God would open their eyes so that they would see the, the wonder of what they have in Christ. And then speaking of this, that they were dead in their trespasses and sins, but God, what Christ has done to bring him back to themselves, to bring them back to himself, to those who were far off to be brought near, and then to show that not only has he done this work, but he's done a work to bring all peoples, Jew and Gentile, in Christ to make them one. And last week... Anthony preached, I I got it on my playlist to listen to now that I'm back, my brother, but I I will say I've heard nothing but good things, but at the end of chapter, at the end of of last week, he read chapter, uh, verse 6, where it talks about this gospel is the bringing together of Jew and Gentile, that these people are being brought together so that as he speaks of this gospel... He's speaking of all that has been proclaimed up until this point. And it's important for us to understand that we need a 
big gospel. Can you say amen to that? We need a big gospel that is deeper than sin and is as wide as all of life. This is important for us because I am concerned with the smallness of our gospel. Hmm. Listen, it's not that what we preach about the gospel is untrue. It's just truncated. Because what we focus on as we preach the gospel, especially in our culture and context, is that we have a gospel that deals with the afterlife, meaning when we're caught up and taken up to heaven. We, we, we have this idea that this gospel is just about what happens after this life. And it only deals with a personal relationship between you and Jesus. So that the gospel is, is, is just about you and Jesus having a personal kind of private relationship. As long as you and Jesus are good, that's all that you think the gospel is for. So we've privatized the gospel and it has no place in public. And Christianity has become nothing more than a program for sin management. So that we could just manage our struggle with sin. There's no way for us to have victory over it. So the best we could settle for is a gospel that helps us manage it. So we could be good people. Hmm. Church, the gospel is good news to all of life. And the reason why Paul soars for the first chapters about the beauty of Christ and the beauty of the gospel and he sings of it and he prays for it and he proclaims it is because the gospel is far bigger than this truncated view of, of what we think that the gospel is just for the afterlife and it has nothing to do with life itself. And that it's all about a personal relationship between me and God rather than a communal, public proclamation. Now, Christianity is not about sin management. It's about a people who have been given victory over sin by the grace of God because of his finished work. And that this gospel is far bigger than the gospel that we have believed or that we have preached. That's why it's important for us to take a moment and kind of soar with him. And if you've seen these shirts around, uh, we use this a lot here at Redemption. I'm, I'm going to unashamedly go over it again because I think it's important for us to when we talk about the gospel, to kind of zoom out for a moment. And I'm going to run through this quickly. If you haven't heard it before, hopefully you'll keep coming. We'll keep going back through it because we, we're obsessed with this, right? I spent so much time just kind of on a small gospel when I started hearing the big story of God. I got caught up into something much bigger. That that arrow pointing down is God who is good, creates all things good. 
that he is creator of all. He's created this world in shalom and under his rule and reign, under his goodness, who he is good, he said, this is good. And every day he would say, this is good. God is good and all that he creates is good as he creates it. And as we see this goodness of God displayed in his creation, then we see sin coming in. That X mark is this kind of sin. And we need to see that sin is so deep and so cosmic and so wide. The vastness of sin needs to become much greater than us just doing bad things. Sin has separated everything that was one in creation. Heaven and earth were one. God and his people were one. Everything was one and perfectly in order as it should be. But because of sin, those who were living in the light of God's goodness said, I'm not going to have him tell me what's good. I'm going to determine what is good and evil. And they bit into that lie. And in that lie, they determined, they thought they could determine what is good and evil. And when that happened, everything that was one was ripped apart and separated. Heaven and earth were ripped apart. Our relationship between God and man ripped apart. Our relationships with one another were ripped apart. Our relationship with creation was ripped apart. Everything that was separated is now ripped apart. In RSU, we've been talking through this gospel story, and one of the the young people came up with this thought of when sin took place, they used this language, everything collapsed in on itself. I love that language. It has nothing holding it together. So it ripped apart. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it talks about in Christ, heaven and earth are being brought back together. In Christ, we are being restored in our relationship with God. So our relationship in Christ is being brought back together. In Christ, we all who have been separated because of sin are being brought back together. In Christ, We're being restored back to our position in creation. All things are being brought back together in Christ. You see, when you see the vastness of what's been broken, you see the vastness of the gospel and what has been done in Christ. And when we think we get to determine what is good and evil, the apex of that is God sends his son Jesus into the brokenness of the world and we put him on trial and the only one who is good, we call evil and put him to death. We can't recognize what's good and evil. We call good evil and evil good. Because the only way we know what is good is when we see it in light of he who is good and what he calls good. But when we put ourselves in place of saying, no, I determine what is good and evil, everything falls apart And in Christ, 
at the center of that story, everything comes back together in Christ. And he promises there will be a day at the end where the arrow is pointing down again, where he's coming again and heaven and earth will be brought back together and there will be no more sickness, no more pain. There will be a world without evil and brokenness and pain and suffering and sickness and disease and broken relationships, there will be all things that were separated will become one. That's a big gospel. And in the midst of that big gospel, there's these two arrows that are pointing forward. These arrows are specifically that. They're sent because behind it is this thing that is sending it, and they're pointing towards something. There's something sending it, and there's something that they're pointing towards. This first arrow is the children of Israel, those who have been chosen by God and sent by him into the world to point towards the day when the Messiah would come. Now after the cross, there is this new covenant people who are not filled with the law or filled with works of self-righteousness, but they are filled with his spirit. The resurrected Christ who has done the work is now breathing into this arrow, pointing. Now we are pointing towards the day when Christ will come Again. And these people are essential to the story. You see, when you understand the bigness of the gospel, you also begin to understand your place, not just as an individual, but our place as the people of God only when we see ourselves in this story. This is where Paul begins to say, according to this gospel, this big gospel, not this truncated gospel, but this big gospel, I was made a minister. Do you see that? According to what? A gift of God's grace, which was given to me, not by work, not by me, but by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this was grace given to me. I want you to notice how he talks about this covenant that he is brought into. Paul speaks of it because of this huge gospel that has been brought to light. He was in darkness, but he was brought into the light. That light so shined brightly that it blinded him. He was brought into the light, and this is the way he speaks of him being brought into this covenant. He speaks of it as a gift of grace that leads him to work. You see, many people spend much time talking about how hard it is to follow Jesus. But you don't see this in Paul's language. He speaks of 
the gift he has received and that he's the least likely of all the saints. And even in another part, he talks about how he's the least of all sinners, the chief of all sinners. He's the worst of them all. He's the least of the saints. He's the least of the apostles. He doesn't see himself as one who has earned his way into this place, but has been given a huge gift of grace. Now, I want you to understand he knows the covenant he has been brought into with Christ, and he sees the beauty of the gospel. Illustration of that is I've been married this year for 20 years. Now, let me tell you why this marriage is so amazing. Because I've made so many sacrifices. I've made so many sacrifices. It's been hard for me. You, could have, you should have seen all the ladies I could have been with. I had to give up so many ladies. You would not. I just had ladies lined up after ladies. I made so many sacrifices, leaving all of them to commit to this one average woman. I could have pursued great careers. I could have gone after millions of dollars. I've, I've sacrificed so much to be with this lady. And she had babies. They hold me down. I could have been rich and famous traveling all over the world, but they just, they're a big ball and chain to me. Sounds like something y'all want to get into, doesn't it? And we wonder why nobody in our world wants to enter into covenant. Because we sit around and talk about how many sacrifices we have made to enter into covenant. rather than boasting in the truth of what it is. Yes, I have left what it meant to be single Aaron, but here's the truth. I've died to that, and I have resurrected to a better life with Dana. That's true. And, and thank God, thank God that she has entered in and, and, brought, and, and loved me and cared for me and truly served and, and, and seen me through and carried with me and walked with me and loved me. I've entered into a true life. And every child that has come from it has been a huge blessing that this family is true life. I'm in this thing and I'm lucky to be in this family. I'm blessed. And it's a gift from God. And I'm going to tell you this. We wonder why people aren't entering into marriage and covenant because they see family and children as stopping them from reaching their potential. We wonder why people don't want to be a part of a relationship with Christ because I'm concerned with the Christian who emphasizes their sacrifice to follow Christ over the sacrifice he's made to bring them in. So many of you talking about how hard it is for you to follow Jesus. 
and how many idols you've left behind and how many things you could have done if Jesus wouldn't have saved you and how much fun you could have had if you would have gone after all these other things. You just had idol after idol and success after success, but Jesus ruined your life. You want to follow him too? Church, we have issues, especially in American Christianity, because of how much we think God's job is to make us rich. And how many things that we have walked away from or how hard it is to follow Jesus. It's so hard. And the reality is the concern of me as a pastor is that there's many people who are boasting in their own works and sacrifices, but do not boast in the grace of God to cover them and wash them and bring them in and to give them the gift of himself. There are not many Christians, especially in our world, who are just thankful. Paul speaks of this covenant in a way that attracts me. He is one who's been in prison, who's beaten, who's been ostracized, and he doesn't boast in how much sacrifice he makes. He boasts in the grace of God and says, there's no reason I should even be a part of this because I'm the least of everybody, but he's brought me in. He's thankful. Why? Because he's died to who he was, but now he's experiencing this newness of the resurrected life. And he's so obsessed with this that he says his calling is to preach and make plain for all to see what they've been brought into. Not only does he want them to know that he's a partaker he wants everyone to be a partaker of this grace. So he's received, he's partaken, and now he's promoting or he's proclaiming this gospel. So those who have partaken of this gospel proclaim this gospel, and they want all to see and they want all to know, but there's something that he says that you must grab a hold of so that, the reason he preaches is so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to all rulers and authority in heavenly places. Here's what ends up happening when you don't understand the bigness of the gospel. You think you've made the sacrifice to be a part of this. And he should be so lucky to have you. And not only do you begin to believe you're something that you're not, and not only then do you not enjoy the trueness of the covenant you've been brought into, you don't see his family in the right light. You want to know a big problem in our culture, community? Is that many people look at the church and emphasize how messed up the church is. 
People are leaving churches by the droves. A big problem with that is they look at the church through the eyes of the culture that they are in. And whether you know it or not, you are a part of an individualistic, consumeristic culture. Everything we live in is all about me and what I want, and people should present to me in a nice air-conditioned fashion all of my greatest desires, or put it online so I don't even have to leave my house. Just make it as convenient as possible for me to shop. And when you live in that society, you make everything about what I want. So we do things in this culture called church shopping. What are you doing? Oh, I'm shopping for a church. And the problem with church shopping is you believe two things. One, the church exists for you. Rather than it exists because of Christ's work and calling. And you're trying to find a church that supports you. Your needs, just like you want to find a lady that's all about you. Just like you want to find a man who's all about you, who makes you feel special. Just like you want to find everything that is about you and you wonder, why do my relationships never work? Because you're worshiping yourself and you're trying to find somebody else who will worship you along with you. Why does it keep falling apart? Because you're a horrible one to worship. And so what we do when we enter into church is we pick apart and criticize the church and we stand in accusation saying, they're messed up, they don't help me, they don't serve me, I've been in need, they don't take care of me, all the things that I need, they don't have the ministries I want, they don't do what I want, and they're existing for another purpose. I need somebody who exists for me. So I'm leaving the church, and not alone, I can't even find a church that fits that requirement. So all churches suck, and I'm not going to any of them. I'm giving up on the church. Forget the church. And we are standing as accusers of the brethren. If you know anything about Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren. And instead of standing in the side of the gospel as a part of his family, you're standing on the side of Satan as an accuser of the brethren. We talk about the church as if we're not a part of it, because maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. You sit around and you talk about the church as it's not, a, ooh, fix this for me, somebody. Josh, help me out. Wayne, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> somebody else help. No, I'm just kidding. Do you know what happened? Play, push play, push play. Just play. There you go. Thanks, bro. Here, good job, Wayne. You did it. Here's the problem. 
The reason why you walk away from the church, criticize the church, and walk away is because they don't exist for you. You will never understand the church when you try to consume the church. You will only understand the identity and purpose of the church when you look at it through the eyes of the gospel and God's story. Because it is God who has saved this church by grace. Let me just say, as a part of the church, I recognize, because I am a part of the family of God, what it is to be a part of a broken family. And I'm telling you this, I am not standing here saying the church is perfect, does everything right, or even exists. But I will tell you this, we're not saved because we do everything perfect or everything right. We're saved by grace. Through faith, it's not of myself. It is a gift of God. I don't love the church and commit to the church because of all you all do for me and how well you treat me. I love you and I am committed to you because Christ loves you and is committed to you and has made you his own. And it is upon that firm commitment to the gospel that he realizes it is essential to the gospel itself that the church understands its place and its role. And there is no other way that he is going to accomplish his purpose on the earth outside of his church. You cannot have Christ apart from his family. You can't. You can't say you love God and hate his people. You can't be separated from the covenant of his family and call them a ball and chain. Listen, there's not one of my kids who's going to be able to come to me and say, listen, Dad, I really like you, but I can't stand that woman you're married to, right? So can I just have a personal relationship with you and not talk to mom anymore? Uh, no. Can I just have a personal relationship with you, Dad, and not your children? No. Because essential to being a part of this gospel work is understanding the love and commitment that God has for his church. Now, here's what you need to see. Christ died he rose from the grave. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he has breathed his breath and his spirit into his people. And those people are to be two things. Write these two things down. And we're going to talk more about it over the next few weeks. We're called to be partakers and proclaimers. Partakers and proclaimers. You remember that forward error, arrow? That forward arrow does two things. It has behind it something that is sending it. And that one that is sending it is this power of the Spirit. And the power of the Spirit sends these people into the world to partake in the covenant and proclaim that he's coming again to make all things new. Here's what you need to understand. Both must be a part of your life if you're going to be faithful to the gospel. If you're truly going to walk 
in faithfulness to the gospel, you must be a part of both. Here's what I would say. There's some people who just go, we need to go out there and win the lost, win the lost, win the lost. And the church's role in the world is to win the lost, win the lost, win the lost. And I would go, half of that is true. You're missing a huge part of that. It would be like me being going, you know what? Don't get married, just go out and have babies, have babies, have babies. You're like, wait, is that the church's stance? No. We say, get married. And then, in covenant, go multiply. Why? Because having multiplication outside of covenant, why is that dangerous? Because then you're just having babies without family to help raise and covenant to help form. So contradictory. We tell people, go out and just win the lost, win the lost, win the lost. But they don't need to be a part of the family of God. They don't need to be raised inside of covenant. They think their role is just go out and win the lost. If you know anything about winning the lost, you can't even do that. Without Christ opening the womb, you can't even have babies. Without God breathing into somebody's heart, they can't even be born again. So essential to multiplication is covenant. You must be a part of a covenant community for true, healthy family discipleship and multiplication to happen. So when you are living into what it means to be a family, forgiving one another, caring for one another, uniting with men, women, rich, poor, young, old, all nations, all tribes, Jew, Gentile, when you're living into that covenant and you're living this covenant and here's your posture, I'm only in this thing by grace. Thank God I get to be a part of it. And I'm committed to the family of God. God uses his family to be a proclamation of, come be a part of my family. Because the family of God, the church of God, becomes partakers and proclaimers of what heaven will be like. That's why Paul says it's essential that Jew and Gentile come together to make one flesh because what's at stake is the gospel itself. What's at stake is that the world needs to see a people who are living in unity and oneness and walking in wholeness and care. The oneness of the people of God is essential to the kingdom of God being proclaimed in the earth. We're not just preachers. Here's what Paul says. I preach so that you can preach. That's what he says in verse 10. I preach this gospel so that in verse 10, what does he say? So that through you, God could make known the manifold wisdom. I preach so that in you being the family of God, that preaches. Ha. What you don't realize is when you separate yourself and say you just have an individual relationship with God and it's just you and Him and you don't know how to function inside of His family and you're not loving and caring and forgiving and sacrificing and living into this covenant reality, you're actually preaching a false gospel. 
Because the gospel is what's truly at stake. That if he says he's going to bring all things together, but he can't even bring his family together, we're proclaiming an untrue proclamation. That's why when, when we live this life, Jew, Gentile, all nations, all tribes, black, white, Hispanic, Filipinos, just called, all nations coming together. When you look in a room like this and there's men and women, rich and poor, young and old, the family of God coming together, serving together, worshiping together, coming around the table together. Do you know what's happening? Y'all are preaching. Y'all are preaching. I'm, I'm preaching to you so you could preach. Because this preaches better than I preach. When someone walks in that door and go, why do they all love each other? Why do they all sacrifice? Why do they all care for each other? Why do they all serve one another? Why do they forgive one another when they've sinned against each other? Why do they repent when they've done wrong? Why do they live in unity and harmony? And we all go, it's our daddy who's brought us together. It's our, our father who's brought us into this family. And I'm, I'm just lucky to be a part of it. You want to be a part of it too? You want to be a part of the family of God? You see, y'all are preaching. That's why it's important to be invested in and be a part of the local family of God. Because what's at stake is the gospel itself. Y'all are preaching. Wayne and I talk about this often, and we're going to take communion to it right now. But the reason why we labor and toil and strive and sit down with most of our meetings and go, no, 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 you all need to love each other, forgive each other. Let's, come on, no, we can't, no, 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 come on, let's stay in this. Let's fight through it. Let's lean into it. Let's care for one another. It's because the reason we preach is because we know that you all are the ones who are really preaching. If we talk about a gospel that can bring all peoples together, but we sit in a room where it's just everybody looks the same, that preaches more than what I say. If we talk about a gospel that can bring heaven and earth together, and in that he can reconcile us and resurrect us and bring us all into this new family, we better be living into that. Because they're going to go, prove it. Can't tell you how many times... I've confidently said God can bring people together. They go, prove it. Come to my church. You want to see it? You, you think me and Miguel would hang out normally? No, you think we would? But we're close friends. Why? Because the gospel has knit our hearts together. The Father has made us one. You think Wayne and I would normally lead in a church together? No, no, no. He would go with his people. I go with my people. But the gospel has made us, we're our people. <laughs> we're this new people that, that Christ has resurrected. And I'm going to tell you this, everybody can look at me and go, man, Pastor Aaron, you've made some big sacrifices to let Wayne be. No, 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 no. I have received great grace to lead us alongside. I'm the lucky one to be a part of this team, to be a part of this church, to be a part of this community.
It's not by my works. I have nothing. I'm thankful for what Christ has done in this church. I've been seeing members join in the body of Christ. I've been seeing people who've been becoming members of the church. I hope that you take this as not just like you're joining an organization. Here's what I hope you see. You're joining a family. You say, well, this is not our family. This is not who I'm a part of. I would go, okay. It's either two things. Either you're not a part of the family of God or y'all better go find one and get in a family. Because the church is not just a place to preach and sing songs. The church is the family with all that's involved with that. So when you come to this table, here's what I pray happens, that you see the work Christ has done, not just for you, but for us. And that as you're sitting in this room, as you come to this table, white hands are grabbing it, black hands, brown hands, young, old hands, rich, poor, all peoples are drinking of the same cup, partaking, and we're becoming one at the Lord's table in fellowship. I hope you see what's being done here as an essential part, the church as an essential part of the gospel. So when you come to the table, I hope you pray. Pray for your, your commitment, your love, your view that you would see it as a gift of grace, and pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray that God would do a deep work in us and make us one. Church, the tables are open. Let's fellowship together with him and one another as we join in communion. And then we'll worship and sing together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.